sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Hallelujah. Shall we share a word of prayer? Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence this evening. Thank you that no one who comes into your presence leaves the same. I pray in the name of Jesus that your word will have free course in us and be glorified. I come against any high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. I pull down every imagination that opposes your word. I ask that your word will go and accomplish the purpose for which it is being sent tonight. I pray also for this vessel that you will anoint me, Lord. You will give me the grace, O oh God. You will touch these lips of clay, O oh God, and cause the words that come out of us and of me to be spirit and life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Please take your seats. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Amen. Amen. And um, I think I'm not getting used to the Scottish weather. (laughs) Amen. I want to thank Pastor Benny and Nan for having us in Scotland. We've been having good and sweet fellowship with them over the years. And um, incidentally, many years ago, somebody gave me a copy of your women's meeting, the, the, C, the DVD of your women's meeting where you had Lisa Bivier. And then I got to know none on that DVD. Little did I know that a year after that, I would meet her in flesh. And that's how God works. Amen. Amen. And little did I know that one day I will be standing here to minister at your women's meeting. And we've also had Pastor Nan minister to our ladies and to our pastor's wives during the Iron Sharpness Iron Convention. It's often a unisex meeting, which is for male and female, but we managed to have an evening or two that could be exclusively the preserve of the ladies, and we were blessed and ministered to greatly. Amen. Amen. We cherish the relationship we have with them, and... um, We thank God for the way they strengthen our hands in the ministry. And uh, last year in July, when Sister Nan came over, she gave us some money to make wardrobes for our mothers who look after the orphans in the orphanage. And I want to say thank you, and I think we can appreciate her for that. Amen. This evening, I'm going to be very brief. 
And um, Nan, how long do I have? About half an hour. I'm preaching from Bishop's book, Daughter, You Can Make It. <laughs> Amen. And Daughter, You Can Make It is also the name of our women's conventions. So I'm just coming from one in Leeds. We had for three days. <laughs> the ladies were there. That's why they're excited. And uh, every year we have a Daughter, You Can Make a Convention in so many places. This year, I also met Pastor Benny and Pastor Nan in South Africa. And we were on our way to Kenya for Daughter, You Can Make It for three days. Then we were in Swaziland. Then we were in South Africa itself. And then we had Leeds. And now we're in Scotland. And um, next weekend, we're in Geneva for the European Daughter, You Can Make It. So it has been growing by the grace of God, by leaps and bounds. I'm supposed to speak to you about the heart of a woman. And um, I'm preaching from this book, and I'm taking my text from Understanding the Seed of the Woman. Okay? Understanding the Seed of a Woman. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that we should guard our hearts with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Amen. Amen. Another version says the heart is the wellspring of life. What you are is what your heart is. And many times when you are saying something really upset you or you felt strongly about it, I felt it at the bottom of my heart. Although my husband tells me when we do this, our hearts are not here. They're actually somewhere on the left. But your heart is the innermost being of yourself. Amen. Amen. And I believe that because it is the wellspring of our lives, God, when he's dealing with us, or when you become born again and God comes into your heart, the first thing he does is to work on your heart. Not on your face, not even on your size. Those of us who have been dieting, and sometimes we stand on the stage and after all our hard work, we can't see what has happened. But God does not work on those areas first. God works on our hearts first because your heart is the leader. Your heart is the real you. Out of it are the wellsprings of life, the, the springs, the fountains, the roots of our lives really come from our hearts. Amen. Amen. And when you become born again, your heart is changed. But at the same time, many things can come into your heart as you walk with God. Amen. Amen. Your heart can be born again, but events and situations of life can change your heart, even sometimes in ways that you don't envisage or in ways that you wouldn't like. Another way in which the Bible describes our hearts is, like Pastor Nan was saying, the type of soil. The type of soil that the word of God falls on is your heart. And in the parable of the sower, we are told that the word of God is the seed. 
and then the seed falls on the heart. And the Bible gives us four different kinds of hearts that sometimes and oftentimes there's nothing wrong with the seed, but there's a lot wrong with the, with the soil. And that soil is a heart. It talks about the hardened heart that does not have any roots in itself. So when persecutions and things arise, there's no depth. So then the seed cannot germinate. Some of it, it falls on the wayside and men just trample, over on under, trample, trample it underfoot. Some of it, when it falls on the soil, it says that there are those hearers who when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But then when persecutions arise on account of the word, then we fall away. Some of it, the birds of the air, come and take it away. That says, you know, the cares of the world, like Bishop was saying, the pleasures of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, they all render the heart, the word of none effect. And then the fourth type, the Bible says in Luke 8, is the one that with patience, another verse says with perseverance, it brings forth fruit. Now, why am I talking about the seed today? Because when God came to the Garden of Eden, he saw that things were not as he had left them. Amen. Adam was there and God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet. I didn't say it. God said it. God knew that everything was good except the absence of woman. When he made light, he said, it's good. He made the fish of the sea, it's good. The only complaint God had was that it is not good that man should be alone. He said, therefore, I'll make him a helpmeet. And then he brought the woman to the man. And when the man slept and he opened his eyes, he said, wow, man. <laughs> and that was woman. And after that, God had no more complaints because we, you know, he, he waited to release his best at the last. Yeah. Hallelujah. So when we came, God didn't complain anymore. He didn't say, it's not good that this, it's not good that... As soon as woman came, he said, oh, creation is now perfect. <laughs> and men are made directly from the soil. I didn't say it. But woman is made from the side of man. So a woman is a high-tech version of God's creation. And that is why she's not like the soil. You know, she's not rough like that. She's, she's a refined version of God's creation. Amen. And because of that, she's high-tech. You need to read the manual on her to understand it. You don't just look at her and say, oh, this is how she is. She's not that predictable because she was made from the side of man. Man was made from dust. A woman was made from a refined version of dust. Do you see? So creation was just getting better as we went on. But when the serpent came to the garden, he spoke to the woman. I often ask, where was Adam for a stranger to have a long conversation like that with your wife? And you don't know about it. You see, he probably wasn't spending enough time like he should have spent with her. 
Amen. Because a woman needs communication, relationship. That is why she was brought. God said, you are alone. I'll bring you somebody to interact. So she's wired that way. Perhaps Adam got too busy tilling the ground, doing this, doing that. So Eve had a long conversation and even influence from Satan. And Adam knew nothing about it. And the pathetic thing is Adam just gave the apple to Eve. Uh, Eve just gave the apple to Adam. The Bible says and he did eat. Asking no questions. Where is it from? How come? You know? We love God. We love the brethren and we love God. But sometimes their case is pathetic. <laughs> so when Adam ate the apple, then God came. And when God saw all that, he asked Eve, what is this that thou hast done? Now let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Forgiveness made easy. Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> and the Lord, verse 14. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and the woman's seed. She, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be your, for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Amen. Amen. Now, I said I was preaching about the seed of a woman. You see, when we look at this scripture, we see that God cursed the serpent in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, not to the woman, because you have done this. Cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. That's curse number one. Number two, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Hallelujah. Now, many times we feel that this curse was for the woman, but it was actually for the serpent. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman. It's a curse for the devil. And I will put enmity between her seed and your seed. And her seed will bruise your head. And you will be able to bruise only the heel of the woman. Amen. Many times after this, we can see that a woman's seed has always been under attack. Physically and spiritually. Physically in the Bible, when Sarah was supposed to bring forth Isaac, there was a lot of trouble. You know, God said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred to the land that I will show you. And 
Sarah had to humbly follow a man that when you ask him, where are we going? He says, I don't know. <laughs> because God has not told me. And in the midst of that, she even makes some mistakes. She gives Hagar to Abraham and all sorts of problems just because of this one seed. And Satan will do everything to thwart us from our, 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 our line of action, from our purpose, from what God has called us to, from the seed that every woman has in her to bring forth. Satan will attack that seed because he sees potential in us. He sees how powerful we are. You see, we don't need AK-47s. We don't need SCAD missiles. We are just powerful. We just need an apple and then we, we can take care of the whole creation. <laughs> you see, men feel that they need muscle. They need this. You know, Samson, he carried the gates of Gaza. He was a very mighty man, very strong. But Delilah said, come, I just have a pair of laps. I don't have a gun. I don't have a shotgun. I don't have any major uh, uh, weapons. I don't have ammunition. I don't have anything like that. But my laps can bring down a man of God, a man of destiny, a man who takes on armies single-handed, could not handle a woman's laps. And sometimes I ask myself, three times a woman lies to you, and still, you just don't get it. Do you understand? Three times a woman deceives you. You say, wherein lies your strength? And Samson says, oh, if you tie me with ropes, this and that and that. And then she ties you with ropes. And she says, the Philistine lords are coming. And then they come. And you do this and the ropes break. Shouldn't it occur to you that you are playing with fire? <laughs> but you see, our casing is delicate and gentle and sweet and inviting. So sometimes the lethal things that lie in us, only God knows. And we are dangerous to the kingdom of the enemy. But that same thing can be turned the other way. The Bible says, by means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread. Not a loaf, not a slice, but a piece. So there's a certain potential in a woman. There's a certain power. There's a certain ability. There's a certain influence that she doesn't need the so-called powerful-looking things of this world to affect. But that influence can be used for good or for bad. You see, Esther, she was just a beauty queen. And she went to the palace. But when it became crucial, she used her beauty to change the destiny of a whole nation. And that's why we have a Jewish nation today. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she said, I'm, I'm 16 years old. I'm a virgin. I've not known a man before. But through me, salvation can come to many generations and even generations yet unborn. And I want to tell every woman that because of that potential in you and the seed you have, Satan fights you in a very unique way. He uses frustration. He uses problems in relationships. He uses discouragement, depression, so many things to sidetrack us so that we don't stay focused on God's purpose and what God wants to birth through us. Amen. Amen. And I came to challenge you today that Satan knows that if you are a woman who is focused, he's in trouble. 
Because the curse is that there will be enmity between he and the woman. And the woman's seed will bruise his head. And he will bruise the woman's heel. So it means that our ability to walk and the rate at which we walk is affected by the serpent. But when you bruise somebody's head, you do more damage to the person than when you bruise the heel. Hallelujah. And when you look in the Bible at Rebecca, you see these days I wear glasses just like my husband. He wore them first. The one I was doing this, sister, just get glasses, own up and stop behaving young. (laughs) Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, verse 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples shall be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau, and so on and so forth. I want you to see that, first of all, Rebecca was seemingly barren. God knew that Rebecca was not barren. But Satan knew that for Rebecca to be allowed to bring forth those twins, it will not just be two twin boys, it will be two nations, two peoples, and two destinies. So as a woman, your seed is more than what you see physically. And your seed is more than what you think you are doing or bringing forth. You are actually bringing forth nations. And if I were Satan, I will also attack you from the beginning so that it doesn't come forth at all. Because not just Jacob and Esau. God said two nations are in your womb. So your womb looks small. What is happening to you looks physical. But in the realm of the spirit, something powerful is happening. And because of that, Satan has to be on your case. So that you will not bring forth that Esau. You will not bring forth that Jacob. Because they are two nations. And the two nations were already struggling in her womb, the Bible says. And she said, if this is how it is to have a child, then why am I this way? Let me go and find out. She was a spiritual woman. So she went to find out and God told her, you know. What you are seeing is not morning sickness. It's not that you are throwing up and you need a toast before you get out of bed. The big deal with you is not what is happening to you physically. It is because of the destiny that you are supposed to birth. And that is because two nations, two nations are in your womb. Many times we we give up at that point when we see the struggles. I mean, one pregnancy, why all these struggles? It's true that I wanted a child. My husband prayed for me and God is now answering. But the issues that come with it are almost like life and death. And the struggles are too much. And we look at the struggles instead of the purpose. And we give up on the fight. 
Amen. But actually that seed is being deposited in you. And with a certain kind of heart, you are supposed to fight on so that that seed will come forth. And God had to give her that revelation because she was just seeing the mundane. She was seeing things ordinarily. And God had to lift her eyes higher to say that, look, what you are going through physically is because of what you are about to birth. And what you are about to birth is two nations. The chosen tribes. The chosen race is supposed to come through you. It may look like your private issues. It may look like your domestic issues. But if you will really allow God to open your eyes, it's more than that. Two nations are in your womb. And two peoples are supposed to be birthed by you. And when she understood that, she didn't complain anymore. Why am I this way? What is I came to tell you that the struggles, sometimes the pain, the confusion, the things that you don't understand, those are the birth pangs. Those are the good, the, the, the necessary environment for the baby to come forth. Those of us who have had children, we know that when the pain is intense, that is when you are normally at the hour of pushing. The, the midwife tells you, push. The point of the most excruciating pain is the point where you will birth something. And so it is in our walk with God. Hallelujah. Now come with me to the book of Matthew. All these seem to be physical women having physical birth. But God knew that it had a spiritual connotation. Understanding the seed of a woman. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before the marriage could come on, Mary was pregnant. The angel had come to Mary to tell her, Hail, O favored one, blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. We are the casing of God's seed. Amen. We are the receptacle. We are the ones who hold the seed that God has for us. In this life. And it was the same with Mary the mother of Jesus. And the whole thing was scandal riddled. Riddled with scandal. Can you imagine? At a tender age of about 16. Bible scholars say. Then you say you are pregnant. You are engaged to be married to somebody. You say you are pregnant. Then your fiancé to be says. I am not the one responsible. Then the pastor calls you to say. Who is responsible? And you say it's the Holy Spirit. Who is supposed to believe that? And even in that age, the, the, the morality, the standard of morality was very high. And it was under the law. You know, so they were very, very, very strict. 
And then you come and say that you are pregnant. Or even if you don't say it, we see the signs. And when we ask you, you say it's of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine the embarrassment that Mary had to go through? Can you imagine the whispers and the rumors in the village and the ridicule that Mary had to go through? And if you don't have a strong heart at that point, you say, Holy Spirit, you know what? I agreed, but now I've changed my mind. Come and take this thing away. Come and take this type of struggle, rumors, people talking about me. I can't stand it. Come and take it away. I don't want it. And at that point, we are bought God's seed and God's destiny for our lives. There's nothing that God does often that comes easy. Anything that God does, there's an opposition called Satan. And he opposes it and he uses negative things. And we, we, we sort of withdraw from the battle lines and we say, you know, this Christian thing, this type of fight, I'm not prepared to be in this type of fight. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Some of you have been fighting bad fights with your husband all the time. It's, good to, it's better to change the fights now and make them fights of faith. Fight for what you believe. Fight for what you stand for. Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. And not spiritual kindness, beloved. Spiritual wickedness. In high places. But when things happen to us, we don't think of any evil power behind it. And we don't think of wickedness. We feel that, oh, Satan is just there and he likes to do things that are not so nice. But he's actually a wicked person. And it's actually spiritual wickedness. You see, when I look at my own life, when I was going to get married, there was a lot of opposition. And before we got married, my husband and I, my husband spoke to me. And said that, look, I think that it is true that we are getting closer to each other because we met in the university and we are getting along well and all that, but I think that we should take time to pray and seek God's face. Every time he's given this account, he said he went to pray. And it's like I was just standing for him to come back, <laughs> you know. But this evening I have the privilege of reversing that record and saying that it is not so. Amen. <laughs> So we decided to pray about it. So he went on holiday to England, and I was still in Ghana. And I remember the morning I had been praying, and then one morning I just felt a great peace about it, and I said, this is God's will. I'm going to go for it. As soon as I finished having my morning devotion, my bedroom door opened, and it was my mother. And my mother came in and said, oh, you are having your morning devotion. Well, I just wanted you to know that. If you marry any man from this tribe, I'll be very disappointed in you. That's my, hus my husband's father's tribe. And then she proceeded to tell me that all the great boxes, including the international ones from Ghana, come from that tribe. And so if I married him, he will box me all the time at home. <laughs> you know, but I thought, oh, my mother, she's just saying something. So I said, okay. I've heard I'll give thought to what you have said. And I took it as an opportunity to talk to her and say, look, Doug is a good person. I wish you knew him and then you would know. And she wouldn't listen. You know, it's like, well, to cut a long story short, eventually she agreed for us to get married. My father was so strict. 
I hadn't even approached him because I was so scared. But on the day that he got to know, he was the one who rather gave me his blessing. I said, oh, you see, what does he always talk to you about? Does he always ask you to marry him? I said, all the time. I said, that's a sign of a good man. Marry him. <laughs> but then, when it was time for the wedding, and my father asked me, you're coming to my church, aren't you? That's Methodist church. And I said, oh, daddy, he's a pastor. And he has a church, even though he's in medical school. We all have that, we all belong to that church. So we have to marry in that church. And at that point, my father came against me. My father-in-law came against me. And they ganged up. My father-in-law asked my father, would you go to a mushroom church? Would you go to a church that meets in an eating place to have your daughter married? Are we not dignified enough? And my father-in-law even made it worse. He would put his chair out there, and as you passed by on the street, he would call you, even strangers. My son wants to get married in a mushroom church. What do you think about it? <laughs> and he was so well-respected in that community that the people would so, also hypocritically say, oh, far be it from you that your son should marry in such a place. <laughs> so every day the thing got worse. And my father would ask me, what did you say the name of your church was? I said, lighthouse. He said, traffic lights. I said, daddy, it's not, it's not traffic lights. It's lighthouse. He said, oh, search light. I said, daddy, it's not search light. So oh, touch light. I said, daddy, it's not touch light. I said, it's lighthouse. Light what? It was a big thing. And he said, if you want me, you know, two of my older sisters had gotten married. My father said, if you want me to give you the type of wedding I gave them, the stress-free, high-society, high-class wedding, then don't get married in this church. Get married in another church. I said, Daddy, it's not the church, but it's who lays hands on us. For us, it's very, very important. Who lays hands and prays over you for your marriage? Because different kinds of hands and different kinds of beliefs. But then, they didn't even understand it. Then my big sister came up and told my parents, you know, the way they are fussy, they don't want to go to this church and all that, is because they are into the occult. Yeah, that's why they are behaving like that. My mother said, what? Said, yeah, that's why they, they are so particular, who lays hands on them, who they are into something. And everybody turned against me. And I just kept weeping and weeping. Then the final straw that broke the camel's back. My father called me and said, this man you're going to get married to, do you know him? So, oh, daddy, I know him. We've been in the university. I know him for at least four or five years. He said, I don't mean that type of knowledge. I mean, do you know him as a man knows a woman? At that stage, I was shocked because my father was very strict. Even if you came to my house as a male, 7 a.m., you say, why have you come so late to look for my daughter? So I was surprised. I couldn't merge the two worlds. And he said, for a man to go out with you for four years and not touch you, he's not normal, he's hiding something. <laughs> so he said to me, let's make a deal. You go and you get pregnant. And when you are pregnant, I'll give you away. And then I said, daddy, I'd come from church. My husband was finishing his last two papers or so. So I said, daddy, I've obeyed you all my life. I wanted to just go to secretarial school. You told me my grades were good, so I should become a lawyer. So I did that, and I'm grateful for that. 
But when it comes to obeying God and obeying you, I have to choose to obey God. And my father was very angry. Will you just walk out of my room? You get up, you interpret the Bible anyhow. Do you know what the future holds? Do you know this man is hiding something from you? So I said, okay, daddy, then we'll have a medical exam. That would say that he's normal and all that. Look, I don't want to see you. Just, just get out. Do you understand? Just go out. There was nobody around me. I was just weeping. So I started to walk in the street, speaking in tongues. Oh, God, give me strength. Help me obey you, God. And I have brothers who grew up in England. So one of them was on holiday. And then he came to my room. Hi, sis. You know, this English accent. What's up? I said, oh, it's daddy. He says I should do this. Oh, sis, that's an easy job. Why don't you get on with it? <laughs> but I knew that that was contrary to God's word. And I paid a price for it. So when we were ready to get married, my father said, I used to give you pocket money, tap switched off. I used to give you this tap switched off. And he had sent me to America to buy my wedding gown, my shoes. I mean... My whole eye and every hope, expectation was on my father. I knew that he was, what, El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. But he closed all the taps. And he said, I'm not even coming for a church wedding. You can get married. You can get married in the registry or whatever, and I'll come for it. But I don't think the man is normal. So I didn't wear the wedding gown I'd bought, the shoes I'd bought, so we went to a small church, very, very small, far away somewhere. My parents came because they, they couldn't bear to have a normal wedding where they would invite their friends to this church that does not have a name. They don't know what it stands for. And even where they meet, it was an eyesore. You know, so they came and I, I had dreamed that I'd wear my gown that I'd chosen and I'd walk down the aisle. All that didn't happen. I just walked with my beloved. In fact, I was left at home by my parents. They said, we are taking the lead. We'll see you there. Have you, said a, have you seen a bride who has been left at home before? And so I was in my room when my husband came with his father's car. Beep, beep. So I sat in the car. Bride and groom arriving at the church together. <laughs> New style. So we arrived. I didn't walk down any aisle. We just sat in front. Bishop Saki was the one to officiate the wedding. He hadn't done it before. We had written the vows for him because we were the founders of the church. So he came and he kept stuttering and stammering. Did the dearly beloved, oh my God. <laughs> and I could see my parents, you know, saying, you know, what kind of church? Look, even the vows, look at the mistakes they are making. So after that, we went quietly to a flat, a studio, if you like, that my mother-in-law had graciously made up for us. And we were married, that was it. So I didn't really get wedding presents. All the things that I'd seen my sisters have, I didn't have. But I don't know why I was not sad. I didn't cry. I didn't. I just thought, well, I'm happy with my husband. It's okay. We're happy. You know? After six months, my father knocks on my door. Ooh, I don't like the way you got married. I think you should have a grand wedding now. So after six months, we had a grand wedding. And then my father-in-law had a lunch for us, and he had to give a speech. And he said, you know, coming to this church. Incidentally, the first wedding, my father-in-law, he just, 
I mean, out of anger and despisement, he just flew out to the UK. Do you understand? You just get married. I bless you. But this type of church, whatever, you just get married. But the second one, he made a speech at the lunch. He said that coming to our children's wedding has changed my whole perspective. I now see what they believe and what they stand for. And who am I that God should choose my son to make him a pastor? And then he began to cry. My father-in-law was a tough cookie. He started to cry. And then another uncle of mine stood up and said, this, if this is the future of our children, then they have a bright future. Things turned around. And today, my father comes to the church all the time. And he says that my husband looks like Jesus Christ. And when I look back, I see that there was the seed of Lighthouse Chapel International in us. And the devil wanted us to destroy our testimony, to destroy our reputation. I didn't know then that my husband would become a bishop. We had started the church and we're five members in some old forgotten classroom somewhere. And it's no wonder that my parents didn't want to be a part of the church. If we even said, you look for another church hall and all, we'll come. You know? So they went to look for another church hall and they said, if they are coming here, they should close down their church, sign a bond, and so many things. So we couldn't take that church too. But now when we look back, we saw that Satan wanted to destroy our destinies at a very early age before we will even progress. And that's why we're even asked to close down the church, do this. So now when I go to the church and I see the branches, so many branches, 500 and more, so many pastors all over the world. That seed yes. has become more than a tree. Yes. And it's so it is with you. It may look like a little compromise here. It may look like, oh, I'm just giving up this little thing. Oh, I'll just sleep with my husband before time. But Satan knows your destiny. God knows and Satan knows. And he will use anything to scramble up God's destiny for you. So you've got to guard your heart. You've got to fight for what you believe. Sometimes you are crying, but do it because God said it. Sometimes it's painful, but it's in the midst of the pain, you are bringing forth something. It was embarrassing. It was painful. It was difficult to almost feel rejected and all that. But through all the rejection and all that, it was fertilizer for the seed. So that the seed could grow and become what it has to be. I didn't know then what was in the womb of God for us. I didn't know the Lighthouse Chapel would grow to become what it has become today. We didn't know. We were like groping in the dark. And in our, in our city or in our country, the charismatic movement was relatively young. So there was no like older generation that fathers you or shows you what to do. Or No, you just, you just go and we grew up on tapes. And messages from Kenneth Hagen, from this person, from this, we'll take it to heart. And that is how most of the pastors in Ghana were raised, on tips and books of men of God from America, wherever. You know, so as we went along, sometimes I would go for their conferences, and my husband would say, this man is the one who poured himself into me in the ministry. So he would take an envelope and take a seed and send it to the man. And the man did not know him personally. But he felt that he had a spiritual link with the man. And I think that most of the time we don't see the extent of our seed. Perhaps Kenneth Hagin even died not knowing he had touched many in Africa. 
That's why when I see Joyce Meyer and all this, I say, they don't know the seeds that they have born in Africa. It's only heaven that will reveal. You will never know the extent of your seed. Like Mary, you think that it's just about you, some personal controversy, people are talking about you in the village, but it's about the salvation of men and the souls of men. And I came to encourage you that give birth to that dream that God gave you. In spite of all the contrary things that are happening in your life, even that broken marriage, all things are not good, but all things work together for good. Amen. When that boy broke your heart, at first you made him God. When he broke your heart, then you discovered that there's no one like Jehovah. He started to say, there's no one like, at first it was, there's no one like Peter. There's no one like Peter, but now there's no one like Jehovah. Because there's no man that can satisfy you like Jesus. Because every man, the best of men is a man. But how come we put all our hopes, our expectations, our dreams, our everything in mortal man? How come? And when you are in your romantic music, oh, Peter, you are my world. Really? No wonder when he turns around, your world collapses. It's only God who is the source of our lives. It's only God who can satisfy you. Because that husband that you have, he has the best of intentions, but he has limitations. He said, oh, I'll pick you up at five. Then he goes and then... There's an accident on the way, and then he comes at seven. Is it because he has a malicious intent? No, but because he's man. But God has no such limitations. So it's better to put your hope in God. Amen. Amen. Two nations are in your womb. So that's the first thing Mary has to contend with. And Joseph, her husband, is even thinking, you know, let me just put her away because all of these things are not helping. Then Matthew chapter 2. Verse 13. Don't worry, I'll end soon. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child. To what? To destroy him. God told Joseph, arise, take the child and its mother and run away to Egypt. For Herod is going to look for that child to destroy him. Satan is looking for your seed to destroy it. First of all, he will prevent the seed coming into being. That's when Jesus came and all this controversy. Joseph said, I'll divorce her and all this. Then when the birth goes through, He also will hunt for the seed, the seed in its infant stage, the dream in its instant stage, the destiny in in its instant infant stage, the future in its infant stage. The devil will be after it. Why? To destroy it. God said it directly to Joseph. Take the child and his mother, for Herod is seeking it to worship it. No way. To fall in love with it. No, that's how they camouflage it, but really to destroy it. And God has to take that seed and take it to Egypt to protect that seed. And let's see what happens. Read on. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod. 
that 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 what that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, "Out of Egypt did I call my son." Then, verse sixteen, Matthew two sixteen. Then, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem, and in all its environs, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained. From the Magi. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and go into the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose and took the child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achilles was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee and came and resided in a city called Nazareth. That that was spoken from the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Because of the seed of the woman, that precious seed, every child two years and under was slaughtered by Herod. He was not looking for every child. He was looking for that seed. That seed, that that seed from that woman that God has set aside. From that woman that God had used. He was looking for that one seed. And God warned Joseph ahead of time that take the child and the mother. Because the seed needs the mother. The seed needs watering. The seed needs nurturing. The seed needs something to germinate and to be sustained. So take the seed and its mother and go and hide somewhere. And when you do that, there's an outcry from hell. And there's a slaughter of all children two years and under. Because he doesn't know where the seed is. That particular seed of death. So he's destroying all potential seeds that it's likely maybe one of them may be the seed. So he destroys everything. That's the wickedness of Satan. He will destroy everything around you. Sometimes it may even be a national crisis just because of that seed that you should birth to bring about God's promises. And yet we don't see ourselves that way. We just think of ourselves as, oh, I'm a single parent. That's our identity. Oh, I'm a widow. I'm a divorced woman. I'm a single woman. I'm married. I'm a mother. I'm a, all those things are good. But beyond that is an eternal destiny, which I pray that God will open our eyes to discover. Amen. The last chapter on this is in Revelations. Chapter 12, I believe. If you are there, say amen. amen. Revelations chapter 12. Turn to the nearest woman by you and say, there's a seed in you. Don't let it die. Amen. Revelation chapter 12. Reading from verse 1. And a great sun appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. 
and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she was with child. Everywhere there's child, put seed, and she was with seed. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And he still swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Hmm. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels, waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them. Verse 13, and when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with a flood. And the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with who? Hmm. And went off to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Mercy. A sign appeared from heaven. A woman with the moon and the stars and a crown of ten stars on her head. It was something beautiful from heaven. But as soon as that happened, Satan also appeared, and another sign appeared in heaven, a great red dragon. As soon as you are introduced as a woman of God, as soon as you are introduced as a woman of destiny, as soon as you are introduced as a woman with a seed, the great red dragon also appears. He has seven heads. Seven heads. Anything that has more than one head is usually something. A great red dragon with seven heads. We know that the dragon refers to Satan. Seven heads and ten horns. Hmm. And he still swept a third of the earth. And he stood before who? The woman who was about to give birth. Why? So that when he, she gave birth, he, he might devour her seed. One of the things that the devil uses to stop us from birthing our dreams, from bringing forth the seed that God has, is fear and intimidation. Because you see a sign from heaven, moon and stars, diadems on your head, you're encouraged, it's beautiful. But as soon as that happens, he brings a contrary picture. Red dragon, ten horns, seven heads. How can you have seven heads when you have ten horns? And you have a tail that looks so powerful that it sweeps a third of the earth. So when you look at this, hey, 
The devil is stronger than I am. The thing looks more powerful. A third of the earth, and I'm only one person on this earth. How will I survive? And that thing is standing in front of you. It was waiting for the woman to give birth. First of all, it doesn't want you to have the seed. Then when you have the seed, and the seed is coming forth, that one too, he has to use fear, intimidation, things that terrorize us, things that keep us in bondage, so that we don't bring forth that seed that is in us. He says, he was there. He said, if you like, give birth. Let's see, we are all here. I'm ready. I'm, I've timed everything. It's timely. I'm here at the time when you are about to give birth. And when you see that, you become distracted from the seed. And you are looking at what, is, what you are afraid of, what your limitations are, what you can't do, why it's impossible, why the seed cannot come forth, why God cannot use you like he said, why you are not the best candidate for the Holy Spirit. I'm broken, Lord. I don't have it together, Lord. I'm not the one, Lord. Because he brings all these things to frighten us. And the main reason he does that is so that he will destroy the seed. But God does not leave us in the hands of the enemy. Say amen, somebody. Amen. The good news is that she gave birth. Verse 5. And she gave birth to a male child who is to rule all the nations. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she might be nourished for 1,260 days. Sometimes... God knows that you've brought forth the seed, but he needs to carry it somewhere to nurture it. He knew that with what the woman was going to go through, he had to take over the seed and protect it. So the Bible says that the child was caught up into heaven by God. And the woman was in the wilderness. But the wilderness was not a place where she was supposed to die. It was a place where she was supposed to be nourished. Beloved, everybody will have a wilderness experience in your work with God. The wilderness experience, oftentimes you will be alone. You may be in a crowd, but you feel alone. When God met Moses, he was alone. The burning bush. And then God said, Moses, Moses. And he turned his head to see what it was. When Joseph was, was given that destiny, he was led out of Egypt alone. The only Jewish person in Egypt. Alone. Because that's when God can get your attention. Jesus was sent into the wilderness. The Bible says he was led by the Holy Ghost into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Because when that happens, you will come back in the power of the Holy Ghost. You are led by the Holy Ghost into wilderness places. Places that if you had a choice, you wouldn't choose. Places that things don't seem to grow. Places that if you look at the natural, you don't see where you are going. But that is why you are taken there. So that you come to a place of total dependence on God. If every time you do something, you can see God's hand, that's not faith. The higher form of faith is where the three Hebrew boys got to. They said, our God will deliver us from this furnace. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. Even when you don't see his hand, trust his heart. That's a good heart. Amen. Hallelujah. There are many things that will be contrary, contradictory. There's a, she was taken to the wilderness to be nourished by God. Because sometimes you are, you are too involved in too many activities that you don't have that personal encounter with God. And the only way you can get your attention is to bring affliction, trouble, pain, uh, uh, confusion, things you don't have answers for. That's what turns you to God. 
So sometimes we should even be thankful for our afflictions. Because that's what turns our eyes to God. Amen. And I'm ending. The same chapter. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. (laughs) You have gone up and you have gone to misbehave. You have problems. And you have been thrown down to the earth. And as soon as he realized that he had been thrown down, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to that male child who had now come to redeem us and bring us to God. He has to persecute that woman because she is the source of that destiny, that purpose, and that seed. Hallelujah. And the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. God never leaves you alone in your wilderness experience. He gives you things that naturally are not a part of your makeup, like wings of eagles. Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Why would you have to renew your strength if your strength will not fail? Why would you renew your strength if your strength will not, I mean, you will be tired, it will run out. That's why you need to. That's why the Bible says, He restoreth my soul. You restore only something that has lost something. Yes. It is after a loss that restoration comes. And it is when we wait on the Lord, when we have wilderness experiences, when God can get us alone, that's when He can give us wings of eagles so that we can soar. They shall, they shall mount up with wings of eagles. The wings of eagles were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to the place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. And the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened the mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony. What happened is that when Satan saw that he was not winning, he decided to now cause a flood. The Bible says, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up a standard. Not you, not your effort, not your might, not your power, but the spirit of God will raise up a standard against the enemy. That's why she had wings of eagles. She had things that were not part of her makeup because there was someone watching over her. When you say the Lord is my shepherd, it's not a nursery rhyme. You are not your own shepherd. You cannot take care of yourself. The Lord is the one who can take care of you. So when the serpent poured forth the water, God did not allow the woman to be flooded. You know, when things start happening in your life, they come in like a flood. They don't come in like a trickle. It starts with a trickle. The day the tap is not working, that's the day the heater has broken down and the washing machine is not working. and It comes in like a flood. But the Spirit of God will raise up a standard, a high standard that the enemy cannot meet. And when the devil saw that God is still on her case, God is still protecting her, God is still helping her. There's a supernatural power that is protecting her. The Bible says he was enraged. 
And then he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Who are those offspring? Those who obey the commandments of the Lord Jesus and keep his word. The reason for all the persecution is the seed that is in you, the word of God. And for that word to birth that intended purpose, Satan is on our case. He's after the woman. You see, when you read on in the chapter, Michael comes and makes war with him, but he's not after Michael. He's after the woman. When he's thrown down from heaven, he's after the woman. When the child is born, he's after the woman. But I came to encourage you. Guard your heart with all diligence. Don't let the devil intimidate us. Don't let him think, don't let him make us feel that our contribution is small. Our contribution is little. You know, things happen in trickles. Like even the women's convention that I do, that has now, every year it grows. Every year it grows. And not only in number, but also in places that I have to go to. And now I can't even meet my schedule. Because the churches alone are too many. And then the non-lighthouse churches are also a lot. So I have to pray to God to be led to know which one to go for. But it didn't start that way. It started as a small women's Bible study in a TV room in the National Training College. Three women, then I'll share the Bible with them. Then they'll begin to grow five, ten. Then one day when we were about 20 or 30, let's have our first ever women's convention. And I called it the complete woman. And then I preached to them. And then every year, whatever God has given me, I just cherished it. I was just faithful with the little he had given me. And I would just share whatever was on my heart. Most of my sermons are personal roads I've walked on, not uh, uh, theories that I got from somewhere. In my wilderness experience, that's when God has birthed the greatest sermons. Because that's when he speaks to me. And when he speaks to me, then I'll be crying. Then I write it down. You know, once I was going through something, God asked me, have you seen any great person I've called who has not had a wilderness experience? No. Like who? Like who? Showed me. Like Jesus. Like Moses. If I called you to bring Israel out and you found yourself with sheep, you will say, what is the correlation between these few sheep and the people who are so far away that I'm supposed to go and bring out of? I mean, you would think that even your, your anointing has dried up. Your destiny is finished because now you were 40 when you left Egypt. Now you are 80. You have not heard from God in a long while, but he takes you to the backside of a desert so that he can develop the leader in you. And all the sermons have been birthed by my own personal work with God and the gems that God has given me. And when you impart those things, they are great truths. But how can you learn them if you have not walked that way? The Bible says so that we may be able to comfort others with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. And when I look at that, I say, God, thank you for giving me the grace not to retreat. Thank you for giving me the grace not to give up. Because sometimes in the ministry, not only just with the women's ministry, we've woken up and then our names are on the radio. They've done this, they've done that. A facility we bought earlier on, we were so much persecuted in that community. And on one Sunday, we were just attacked. Pregnant women were passing out. Blood was spilling. My children were up in the church, children's church. I didn't know how to go for them. There was mayhem. There was an American diplomat in the service, so the Marines had come to get her. And they were saying, you know, give way, give way, give way. And they came for their one person. <laughs> you know? And we had just nobody. So my husband and I were taken to the basement. A dark basement at the time. And we were asked to stay there whilst they sort things out. And then you just hear people screaming. Where are my children? What has happened to them? 
What will happen to this church? Will people come again after a church has been attacked? Even one pastor came and stood in our pulpit and said, honestly, the day I heard the news, I thought Lighthouse was over. But it was actually the beginning of God birthing something great. And what happened is that on that day, out of the distress and the frustration, my husband called a meeting and said, who knows a facility that we can move to? Because you don't stay in a community that doesn't want you. A community that we had built bathrooms, toilets, and things for, and yet they just couldn't take it. You know? So he said, who knows? Somebody raised that. I know a place, but we can't afford it. It's so many dollars, we can't afford it, but it's in the industrial area. And I mean, we could go and have a look at it. So he went to look at it. And when they mentioned the price, there was no way we could make it. But he went to speak to the man. And over some years, we just paid and paid and paid. And today, that's where we are. A beautiful facility, more than we could ever have dreamt of. But we didn't go because we had great vision. And we didn't go there because we are great people. We went there because we were lashed out. <laughs> the afflictions of life, the pains of this life. That's what took us to the next stage. Every test, after that comes a promotion. So I came to tell you, ladies, give birth to the dreams that God has given you. Give birth to that seed. Don't despise what God has put in you. Be faithful with the little things. Faithful with the little Bible study. Faithful with the little witnessing. Faithful with the little things you are asked to do. Even the apostles, they were sent to organize bread for 5,000 people. To make them sit down in groups of 50. To pick up the muscles that were left after. Some of us would say, I'm called to be a great prophet. I can't do such menial jobs. But God is looking for people with a servant's heart. So that he can use them. I pray that you will discover the seed in you. I pray that God will give you the grace to nurture, protect, and preserve the seed in you. And above all, I pray that that seed will come forth. Don't lose heart. Keep holding on. The best is yet to come. Amen. Stand to your feet, please. I want us to pray. I want you to ask God to show you that seed that is in you. And to give you a heart that doesn't... It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi. Or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.